Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hi everyone, this is Chronicles and Commons. No, wait. Commons and Chronicles. Look, as listener Lyle has recently pointed out to me, I've presented this show with two different names in two different places. There's Chronicles and Commons on the website, and I think in the RSS feed, I I would think. And very frequently, Commons and Chronicles in the audio. So, I wish I had noticed that I did that. I wish I could say that I I did that as a sort of an Easter egg with a prize for anyone who noticed, who, who listened carefully enough to notice. And, and sadly, no, I didn't. It's just something that, that happened, and I never noticed myself until Lyle pointed it out to me. So thanks, Lyle, for pointing out the blatant inconsistency, but we're going to go with it. We're just going to say that C&C is, is reversible. Now, in this episode, coincidentally, I want to start a series suggested by Lyle, the the same Lyle who told me that the title of my show was inconsistent. Uh, And the series is about the Barsoom novels, or the John Carter novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. These are extremely influential books. They were the first thing that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote. I did not know that he that his first book was the John Carter book, the um, the Princess of Mars novel. Well, it wasn't a novel; it was serialized in 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 a magazine at the time. But that was his first work, and I always assumed, like probably a lot of people assumed, that Tarzan was his first. But certainly, it's I think Tarzan is probably his most famous. But John Carter's pretty. Pretty close afterwards, I feel, because it is so influential. As you read John Carter, if you read John Carter, and I'm not necessarily saying that you should. You don't. You don't have to read it to benefit from it. But if you read it, you will start to notice certain elements that that seem awfully familiar to you from modern science fiction iterations. And that's by no coincidence. That it is an oft-cited influence on modern sci-fi. It is something that has has been around for such a long time and made such an impression on on people that it got integrated into their works. That then got in you know that made impressions on the next generation and got iterated or got uh, integrated into their works and so on. So you'll see elements of of things like Star Wars in in John Carter, in The Princess of Mars, you'll 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 see it. You'll you'll definitely find things that you'll think that that's almost like that other thing. It's it's not a coincidence. This is an old old book. It's it's got its it's got nods in several different places. Not nods back to it in several places. Now, before I start talking about the the details of the story, I want to get a little caveat in here and remind you that John Carter is a very old book. It's from the early 20th century, which, saying the 20th century doesn't sound like it's that long ago, but 1900, 1912, 1915, that time frame was a long time ago, and a lot has changed. This, The book, John Carter, the whole series, 
is very racist. It is the definition of racist, meaning that Edgar Rice Burroughs, as did many people of his time, truly believed that your ethnic background defined and limited your capabilities and potential as a human being. To be very clear, this is not correct. Our ethnic background has no bearing on our capabilities in life or our potential for being a human. By covering this book series, I'm not implying any kind of support for the belief system of people in the 19 in the early 1900s. My interest in this series is for its pulpiness, is for the pulp sci-fi aspect of it, for the ideas and for the world building. And I think that's a lot of what has kept it a relevant book series. The imaginative world that ERB builds in John Carter has endured and influenced other science fiction and fantasy authors. And it comes through. His kind of haphazard world building resonates, I think, with us a little bit. And it's appealing. And that pulp havoc that an author who's just powering through the authorship of a, of a story, I think there's a lot to be learned from this, especially in gaming, because that's what the, the GM is very frequently doing, whether they know it or not. They are constructing a, a they're following the, the plot th that precedes them. They're not pre-planning. They're not, they're not, manufacturing something in advance it's it's something that they react to and the players too the the non-gm players they, they're also reacting to plot elements so it's this kind of it, it is a pulp process the gaming the, the tabletop role-playing experience that's what i'm trying to capture here i believe that in the 21st century we have a, a much clearer view of how humanity works and we certainly have enough information to make informed decisions about the way we live our lives in relation to our fellow human beings. Something that recent politics kind of brings into question, but but at the end of the day, I think that's, that is where we are. We have a lot of information, we have a lot of data about how the world works, and we can choose to use that information and data wisely to treat one another with uh, respect and and to honor one another, and to, to make everyone's lives a little bit more enjoyable. Possibly through storytelling and gaming, which incidentally is what this show is about. So let's talk a little bit about the Green Martians on Barsoom. So in the John Carter series, a Confederate soldier is transported from Earth to Mars. We don't know how he gets transported from Earth to Mars. It's pretty much a mystery, but it just he just sort of astrally projects himself accidentally onto Mars. It's it's after a near death experience and I don't know if if maybe that that sequence, the first couple of chapters of of the book were meant to to reflect that, sort of, sort of suggest that 
after a harrowing experience like this, fantastic things are possible, or whether it was a statement about conflict and cultures uh, at, at at odds. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what he what ERB sort of intended there. Originally, I, I had a memory that it was a comment on cultures at odds, that was kind of m- reflected in sort of a reversal on Mars, but upon rereading it, I realized that I, I, I'm not 100% sure that that is what was being conveyed at all. I think that, in fact, um, I, I think it may have just been to mislead the reader, to, to get the, because this was serialized originally, so it, it, it was in a magazine, so you'd have gotten the first chapter in a magazine, and you'd have thought, okay, well, we're, we're, we're reading a cowboy story here about this soldier in the in sort of the, the southwest escaping from his enemies and that that seemed like a plausible thing probably for the time to be reading i i don't see why that would be uh w- would seem out of place at all so I, I that's what i personally think i have no i have no basis for that belief i'm just imagining that that might be what it was about it could have just been a flash bang intro into an exciting story an exciting intro into an exciting story so that that may have been the the actual reason either way john carter ends up on the planet mars now apparently there was some uh, scientific author um, there was a scientific author at the at around that time in the early 1900s speculating about the nature of Mars, and uh, it was apparently, and this is all just from a quick internet search, this is, I'm by no means an expert on this, but apparently one of this early work reflected, or rather, uh, for the, maybe the first time, uh, speculated that Mars was a, was a dead planet that had once been alive, it had been maybe thriving with with a civilization, but it was now dying. And that, as you can imagine, would have been really influential on Edgar Rice Burroughs, who suddenly decided, okay, I'm going to write a book about Mars, about a civilization on what is a dying planet. So when John Carter arrives, Mars is on its way out. It's an old planet. It's been through a lot of history. And it's it's struggling to to support life now, but it is supporting life. And and initially, you think that the life that it is supporting is just one really weird alien race who refer to the planet as Barsoom. So when I say Barsoom, you know that I mean Mars, and that is why a lot of people will refer to the series as the Barsoom series or the Barsoom novels or or whatever. So Barsoom is Mars in the Martian tongue. And the race that John Carter meets initially are the Green Martians. The Green Martians are the largest of all and probably traditionally speaking the most alien. They they are uh, about twice as tall as humans. A uh, little bit more, actually. The, the male green Martian stands about 15 feet tall. The females are a little bit shorter. They are green-skinned, solid green skin. I mean, like, really green is what I'm saying. It's not a green tint. It is green skin. 
They have small antenna-like ears and large tusks. Now, the women are traditionally, the female of the species is, as, as you might expect, although not necessarily, but uh, certainly from an early 1900s, uh, regard, you, you might expect that the females are a little bit softer in features. They're a little bit less green, they're, you know, a little lighter green. Their tusks aren't quite as severe, and um, I think they have some ornamentation here and there. So there's there's a slight difference between male and female, in, including uh, the height as well. The, the females are shorter, probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, well, yeah, probably like 10 to 12 feet. The, the males are, are typically taller, 15 14 feet, whatever. The um, females lay eggs. All females on Mars lay eggs, actually. But we are introduced to this here with these green alien species of, of Martians. The other thing about these Martians is that they have four arms. So they've got two legs, which are, you know, standard sort of human legs as far as, as you know as far as we know from the description and then uh, rather than just one set of arms they've got two sets of arms so you can kind of imagine this this very tall creature with sort of two biceps which I guess would be quadriceps in a way but yeah two biceps and um, and, and four arms to go along with them these Martians, these green Martians, don't really wear clothes. Most Martians don't wear clothes, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of nudity on Barsoom, and that's one of those extreme pulp conventions that you just love to read about. But I don't know if you'd necessarily want to play it in a tabletop RPG. Certainly, the movie adaptations, such as they are have have given clothing to to its actors for obvious reasons but even in the book it is it is rather explicit that that there's a lot of jewelry and ornamentation happening so you could imagine you you know you can you can interpret the the idea of no clothing to simply mean well there's not a whole lot of cloth going on but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not covering in other in other by other means like jewelry and and chain mail that sort of thing. So we're not a hundred percent sure. I wouldn't say about exactly how it all works. But that's I mean that's what it is. It's there's there's no clothing on Mars. You get used to it over the course of the books. The origin of the green Martians is a little bit unclear, but they are. They are presented sort of, I would argue, as the native population of the planet. And that's not to say that the other races aren't presented as native populations. I simply mean that the Green Martians are the analog, I would say, in many ways, I don't think I'm too far off base here, to the Native Americans in the first couple of chapters of the book who are pursuing John Carter for reasons I don't recall. I, I don't know that it's ever given. I think there's just sort of that innate conflict between the, the uh, you know, the soldier and and the Native American. I, th I think that it's just kind of a, a an obvious sort of, well, obviously, these two are at, at, at odds. 
and that's kind of the sense that I got from from the Green Martians was that they were meant to be kind of the tribal people of the land. And while I felt that the that it was interesting that they were sort of derived from maybe that origin, I actually feel like if you wanted to think about them in a in a weird sort of reversal re- reverse origin way of of sand people from Star Wars or Fremen from Frank Herbert's Dune, that would probably be the right way to think of them possibly and and i'm not saying that thinking of them as as america as native americans is incorrect i'm just saying that there's been a lot of cultural influence in in our fiction that gives us a very specific idea of what native american culture was like right or wrong i'm not sure but there there we have certain associations with those whereas something a little bit more foreign like the fremen or the sand people I feel like that that may give you a better sense of what it would be to be a green Martian living in essentially the the deserts, the desert lands of this dying world of Mars. They're an interesting people, very harsh, very very um, interested in survival uh, of the tribe. So, for instance, if when when little um, baby martians are are born well okay so when the eggs are laid they are the eggs are taken away from the tribe into a secret stash and they are kept there and tended to on a regular basis john carter stumbles upon one of these um stashes and and it causes some some problems but they're kind of sent away from the tribe these these eggs and tended to and and they they incubate over the course of several years and then when the babies are born any any child with a defect is summarily slaughtered infanticide nobody blinks at it it's it's just a thing that happens and and i think that the the intent here is to to show that that this culture has to think very much about sort of the the capabilities of of the tribe and if if there's anyone who can't carry their own weight and arguably the weight of an and uh, of their companion who may be injured then then that person is cannot contribute to the tribe and, and in fact would be a liability so they're they're done away with and the green martians are very much a tribal uh culture they are it's it i always had the sense that they were slightly nomadic and i don't know that i I don't know upon rereading that i i don't know where i got that idea i i didn't catch that on my uh, on the latest read through that i did you know in preparation for this for this show um i always got the sense that they were nomadic and maybe it was just because they were going back and forth to their little egg colonies to their normal uh, uh, living spot, maybe that's why I thought, and they were going out hunting and and, and attacking other tribes and so on. So maybe I, that that movement is what gave me a sense that they moved. Um, but I, I think, like I said, you could kind of probably, if you just imagine 
the sand people from Star Wars, you can kind of come up with a, a good template for the green Martians. Or just think of a society that lives on a dying planet and imagine what they would have to do in order to survive, to, to find food and, and supplies and water and so on for all of their, for, for all of their tribal member, members. What would they have to do? We know of two tribes specifically from the books. There's the Wahoons and the Tharks. The Wahoons are warlike and mean, and they steal stuff from the Tharks. And the Tharks are the noble native people of the land who who do mostly good, but are, are um, at a little bit of a disadvantage. Maybe they're not super uh, organized. Maybe they're a little bit too democratic for their own good. That's, you, you get that kind of feeling from them. And so when John Carter arrives, he kind of amazingly, uh, as, a, as an Earth man, um, it sort of brings them all together and, and focuses their energy against their their enemy and helps them beat the the Wahoons. So the Tharks kind of gain an upper hand in the area and become kind of the dominant green Martian tribe, at least for the sake of the book. There are, I would imagine, many more tribes that we don't hear about across Mars. And certainly if I were playing a game set in this world or writing something set in this world, then I would feel free to generate new tribes as, as needed. The power structure in within a tribe mirrors the power structure pretty much across Mars as far as we can tell. It seems that uh, some former civilization presumably came up with this, this uh, the ranking of, of, of leadership and and I guess that trickled down through all the different races because they all seem to use the same the same terminology. The the highest form of leadership is a Jeddak. That's J E D D A K. It's a tribal leader or a king or a I don't know a mayor. It's it's the leader of either a, a, a tribe or a city or or whatever. The female. Um, equivalent of a Jeddak is a Jadara, J-E-D-D-A-R-A. Under a Jeddak, there are Jeds, J-E-D, and uh, beneath them, I think there is a, a third level called a Jedwar. But the, the two that you really hear about a lot in the book are Jeddak and, and Jeds. John Carter himself becomes a Jeddak. The way that you become a Jeddak is that it is to kill the existing Jeddak. Most of Mars is based upon on on power, on on physical prowess. So if you if you make your way all the way to the top, then you're at the top. But nothing guarantees that you will stay there because if you've offended a bunch of people to get there, quite likely they'll come after you and become Jeddak themselves. Notable green Martians are Tars Tarkas, who you, you may have heard that name before. That's a pretty famous example of, of a green Martian. He is the, the kind of quintessential green Martian from the series. He appears in a couple of the different books, and from what I understand, makes guest appearances in various, various 
other media, you know, comics and things like that, they they use Tars Tarkas as a as a, a nod to the John Carter series. Tars Tarkas is the Jeddak of the Thark tribe, so he's kind of a big deal in the world that John Carter finds himself in. He is brutal and 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 merciless. He is a, a warrior. I mean, he's a Jeddak. He got there. He didn't just inherit that title. He he got there because he wanted to be there. He was driven to become a Jeddak because his lover, Gozava, was killed by the existing Jeddak. So when when we meet Tars Tarkas, he is the Jeddak. He is a powerful leader, and he's doing his best to keep his 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 tribe alive and healthy and growing. So Tars Tarkas is a a strict ruler, but but an intelligent one. He he doesn't just befriend John Carter immediately. He that that friendship is earned, and Tars Tarkas ends up being a a trusted and reliable friend, but one that that has to that you you kind of have to to earn the respect of and once again i i feel kind of like part of that is to indicate possibly that that that's the that's the quintessential green martian attitude that the strictness and and ruthlessness is necessary, but with with the right protocol and with the right display of, of strength, you can earn the respect of, of that Green Martian. Maybe I'm extrapolating too much, but I, I, I feel like Tars Tarkas is probably meant to be the everyman of the Green Martians. Another important uh, figure in, in Thark is Sola. Now, I could talk a little bit about her backstory, but I'm not going to because that starts to get into spoiler territory. So I'll just say that she's an important figure who watches over John Carter during his captivity. When John Carter initially arrives, he is the captive of the Thark tribe. He is not the guest. He is, he is considered a prisoner. He's got a lot of liberties, but he is considered someone that they don't quite trust yet. So Sola is the one who who watches over him. And once again, the the characteristic that comes through here is one of sternness, but ultimate, ultimate, ultimately caring and and compassionate. That was the word I was looking for, C- compassionate. So, for instance, she 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 is really John Carter's prison guard, but she cares for him. She tends to his wounds and and makes sure that he has everything that that he needs. And she even sort of makes it makes it possible for him and Deja Thoris to to hang out together. Deja Thoris, we'll get into later. She's a Red Martian. She and John Carter are a thing, so you'll hear more about her. But she's not green; she's red. So those are the the, the major Green Martian players uh, who survive through a couple of different books. There are others who ultimately die within the book and probably wouldn't be um, appropriate, I guess, to reference outside of outside of playing during Princess of Mars, because by the end of that book they are no they're they're not they're not really important anymore. So um 
those are the the green Martians. I think they're they're definitely uh, an interesting bunch. I think they're the more interesting bunch of 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 the of the different races, and I I always kind of felt like they were the intended heroes, but ended up being sort of shuffled off when the Red Martians get introduced, and I, I was never a hundred percent sure why that was. They they are the well again they're the Fremen of the book, and if Fremen doesn't mean anything to you, then they're the Sand People of the book. They are they're the they're the ragtag bunch of rebels who who are surviving in spite of all adversity. So I think if I was going to play on Barsoom, I would probably default first to the Green Martians with with some visits into the Red Martian cities. It's not 100% clear what kind of society the 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 Tharks run. I mean, I keep saying tribes because that's kind of how I see it, but there is there are cities that they that they've taken over. It's not super clear whether these cities are uh, how how much like a city they are, how much they've been reconstructed versus whether they're just maybe the inhabitants got driven out or or whether it's part of just the dying world of Mars. I'm I'm not 100% sure. So you've got the Thark uh, tribe and or city you've got the uh, Torquas city you've got Warhoon which I've already uh, mentioned and there's another one called the third so there are different groups that exist that you hear some about but you don't really get a sense necessarily for what kind of construction or, or what kind of regions they really they they define themselves by um, based upon, and I, I feel like that could be a, a place for a lot of development on on your part if you were using this as a setting. I kind of want to default to you know this Mars as kind of a post-apocalyptic world, and there's there's a huge argument for that. I mean, there the the world is being propped up by artificial atmosphere. Uh, some plants that that generate artificial atmosphere, so it is it is a hundred percent like it is on life support. Barsoom or, or Mars is, and to me, if if it's on life support, I, I can't imagine that we're looking at cities that are just sort of inconvenienced by the dying state of their planet. I'm I'm seeing it as like a post-apocalyptic society where everything has fallen and is being rebuilt and or maintained as it can be by these different tribes the green and i I mean tribe very broadly here like the green the different races the the green martians the red martians the yellow the white and the black martians each kind of doing their own thing in different areas trying to survive so i can see the green the green martian uh cities such as they are being yeah cities that have been destroyed by some cataclysmic event and are and and has been sort of reassembled from from found found spare parts and so on. So I would probably lean heavily into that kind of shantytown look rather than I mean, shantytown slash um, post earthquake look, which I know I happen to know quite well. Post earthquake look is is something that I've seen 
two two or three times in real life. Um, so that's that's something that I can very much see. But um, that kind of shantytown reconstructed look of 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 a society rebuilding after a, a major cataclysm without any real industry happening. And there's, I think, a pretty good argument for that overall. There's not a whole lot of industry. There's some stuff that we'll get to later that suggests technology, but mostly steampunk style. So it's um, it's it's technology without being too technological. So those are the Green Martians of Barsoom. I hope this was interesting. Uh, if you use them, have fun with them. There's a lot of resources out there. There are a couple of RPG companies that have actually made all of this kind of official and 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 have published setting books and, and games based around these worlds. So there's, obviously, I'm going over the canonical Edgar Rice Burroughs content that is public domain. They take a lot more liberties than than I do because they're using it for something that they've sort of specked out and figured out. So I think it's, I mean, there's there's a lot of material out there in addition to just the Barsoom books. Some people have codified this, made it very regimented, and why wouldn't you use that as reference? Alternately, I could see using the Dead Earth rules for for a game set in Mars, minus all the radioactivity stuff. Dead Earth is a is an old 90s game. It's uh, published under the GNU free documentations license, which is not the usual license you find applied to RPGs, but that is what has what was used for it. I think this was this was very much pre-open game license. So the the rules are free. Uh, MixedSignals.ml. You can go there for a sort of a, a republish of them. I've I've kind of adjusted some of the rules and, and corrected some of the mistakes and so on. So you can go there for the for the updated rules, and I I could see using that as a a, a, a sort of a framework for a game set in in Barsoom. Now, Dead Earth has a heavy, heavy radioactive element that's part of the game, is the radioactivity. So you'd basically have to drop that, maybe substitute something else into it to give it that kind of, like, surprise aspect. Or you could go with it and just say, hey, my Barsoom has radioactivity, and that's a real danger. It's up to you. But I I could definitely see that as a quick and easy drop-in, sort of like here's a thing for, for this game that this will give us structure. And of course there are several other RPG systems that you could drop in just as easily. It wouldn't have to be Dead Earth. It could even be something like Starfinder or any of the several other dozen systems out there that are that are friendly enough to sci-fi that you could kind of retrofit the Barsoom setting into it. Anyway, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. All we've done so far is covered the Green Martians. There are There's lots more to cover. There's creatures and technology and other races so we'll get into that in future episodes thanks for listening i'll talk to you next time that's it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening my name is Klaatu. you can reach me via email at platu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.